Welcome to the NBA Pod, and today our guest is the general manager of the Houston Rockets. He is Daryl Morey. Hey, Daryl. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Hey, thanks for coming on. All right, so before we get into everything about this season and your thoughts on the NBA, I want to ask you how it all started for you, because you have an interesting trek to becoming a general manager of an NBA team. Um, I, I guess my knowledge of it starts where you get hired in Boston, but if you can, just explain to me, how did Daryl Morey become an NBA general manager? Uh, short version, uh, worked at uh, um, Stats Inc. Uh, when I was younger and uh, worked with someone else to start their basketball, um, their basketball practice there. Uh, then tried to get a job for many years in in the NBA. Uh, basketball is when I played in high school, and I couldn't. I uh, ended up working with a firm that uh, worked with the Grousebecks to to help uh, buy the Celtics. Uh, from there, I joined the Celtics, and um, and the rest is uh, is history. What was the firm? Uh, it was a firm called Parthon. They're sort of like a consulting slash investment bank. So what were you doing? What was your job? <laughs> My job was there. Uh, well, I also worked on the uh, Red Sox deal there. So I specialized in sort of sports transactions while I was there. Uh, but, you know, basically management consulting slash investment banking. So, uh, you know, advising firms on how to be successful. How old were you? How old were you? Um, good question. I think I was 26. Did you think that was going to be your career? Um, let's see. I always thought that I would eventually make it to sports. That's what I always wanted to do. So I was looking for ways in no matter where I could. <laughs> so uh, if you actually go, if you go back to my actual Facebook page when they were physical pages at Northwestern, I talk about wanting to uh, become a GM. What was your pitch to the Celtics? Um, you know, I got to know them as part of uh, helping them work on the acquisition. So, um, and, uh, you know, I'd worked with Bill James at Stats Inc. Um, on, you know, trying to help forecast players that were good in, in uh, basketball. And so it was a pretty easy pitch. I had a background in, in working and analyzing basketball. What's it like working with Bill James? Uh, when, well, when I was younger, he he even says this himself, uh, and obviously for folks, so Bill James was sort of profiled in the book Moneyball by Michael Lewis. Um, he was actually, you know, not a very nice person back then. You know, he was pretty uh, uh, pretty smart guy, and uh, you know, very focused, and um, you know, didn't uh, wasn't a lot of convincing with. Uh, I was pretty low level at the time, but uh, very smart guy, nice guy. I've gotten to know him better. After I worked there, what did you think was your like breakthrough? Like at Stats Inc. or even like when they were talking about you know using statistical analysis that you're going to help the Celtics. Was there something that you thought this can change things? This will really help things if if they believe in this. Um. Yeah, I would say like you know essentially you know just like in baseball there are some key aspects that drove winning that people were missing famously in moneyball on base percentage you know basketball there were you know key things you know primarily possession based analysis 
you know, looking at, at each game uh, possession by possession basis and valuing guys who generate more possessions through rebounds and generating turnovers. Uh, I think that kind of analysis was, you know, that's pretty pretty standard in basketball now, but at the time it was pretty forward thinking. And um, while I was while I was working on the Celtics acquisition, you know, I got the opportunity to talk to Steve Paliuka and Wick Grosbeck, who are the you know primary owners now, and and walk them through how maybe I could help. And then I got the very good fortune to work with Danny Ainge in Boston and learn a lot from him. What did all the basketball guys think when you walked in with all of your binders and you're explaining this to them? Um, yeah, I think it probably went as, it usually went as well as, uh, you know, in the movie Moneyball. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that bad, though. I think one of the key differences between baseball and basketball, baseball, a lot of like the, you know, the sort of the new age management folks, you know, a lot of their findings were that a lot of what was done in the past was wrong. Whereas the basketball is a little different. Um, you know, I think coaches for years thought guys like Shane Battier were very valuable, even though they averaged, you know, eight points and five rebounds uh, because of what they brought to the overall table. And the analysis done in basketball, you know, showed that guys like Shane Battier were more valuable than what, like, the box score showed. You feel like uh, many in many cases, whatever your ideas are basketball wise, that uh, like you were just explaining, like the difference is, it seems like, and I'm watching the baseball playoffs now, right? Anytime somebody makes a bad move in baseball, there's a million analysts out there ready to criticize it because they're also very well versed in all the numbers that deal with everything. Yet it seems like what you're saying is in basketball. It was more of like a confirmation of what guys said, so maybe they weren't as reluctant to agree with it. Yeah, yeah. I got the good fortune to work with Coach Jim O'Brien early. Uh, he's a very forward-thinking guy, and then Doc Rivers. I've had the good fortune to work with some great coaches: Jeff Van Gundy, you know, Rick Adelman, Kevin McHale, now Mike D'Antoni. So I've I've had good fortune to work with some very smart, forward-thinking coaches. And yeah, I'd say in basketball, a lot of the analysis confirmed more what coaches were doing was right, you know, even though numbers, the ones that were gathered, like rebounds and points and things like that, didn't didn't support it uh, as much. So the adoption was easier. So when you're going into someone and saying, hey, here's all the ways that, you know, um, you know you're right, that people don't understand, they're more receptive than when, you, when you're pointing out a couple things where maybe there are opportunities for improvement. Uh, if you're going in there like the baseball guys did and saying, like, hey, look, you're doing everything wrong, uh, that obviously isn't received as well. What's the hardest part about dealing with coaches? Because it's one thing to talk to them and, and like, you know, say, hey, this three-man unit, this four-man unit, this five-man unit is successful, or specific players and the numbers that support them. But in terms of, like, style of play, that's where I would think that guys might be reluctant to listen, right? Where When you're going to them and you're actually talking about what is the most productive way to play? Because you have you have these thoughts, right? About obviously with the way the Rockets shoot three pointers, um, shoot early in possessions, uh, you know, uh, abstain uh, not completely from the mid range jumper, but it, just explaining like the the philosophy of style of play and being that you are not your quintessential basketball guy. What kind of what kind of brushback have you gotten from that? Yeah, I wouldn't frame it as hard to work with. I, I haven't had any issues with working with coaches because, you know, once you're at the NBA level, these are very hard-working, smart, accomplished people. Uh, who wouldn't have gotten there if they weren't, like, looking for an edge, right? It's all about winning. And, 
you know, I think the, you know, none of the conversations are <clears throat> are hard. And even on style of play, which I like you brought up, but, you know, generally there's always been a fit and an alignment there. Um, you know, had the opportunity, obviously, to select the head coach and coaches like Rick Adelman, coaches like Kevin McHale, coaches like Mike D'Antoni, a big part of what we were looking for as part of that process is people who were forward-thinking, people who already fit the style that, you know, that the owner wanted to play, that we knew drove winning. Uh, so there hasn't been, at least with the Rockets, a lot of difficulty in terms of having conversations because, you know, there's a general alignment that, you know, this is, this is, what, this is what wins. Uh, these are the kinds of things we want to do to win. These are the kinds of players we want to get to win. And it's always been sort of a partnership versus anything, which is why, for example, with our owner, I mean, every coach we've ever hired has been here for four years or more. Uh, there's never been, uh, you know, an issue where, you know, we're changing a coach one year in because there's not a fit philosophically. You host this uh, Sloan Conference, the MIT Conference, every year, and it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Where do you think basketball is in terms of analytics and sports? I mean, I read these articles about soccer teams using it and hockey teams, but where are we right now in terms of using advanced numbers in sports, or in basketball specifically, like in, in, what you have seen growth-wise over the last 10 years? Yeah, baseball is probably in the lead because the sport has traditionally had a lot of uh, – data available and the sport lends itself. There's less dynamics in terms of lots of interactions on the field. So baseball is a 10 out of 10 and, 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 and maybe, uh, you know, on, on, the, on the flip side, maybe the, the hardest sport to analyze might be, uh, you know, you can argue for a few, but you can argue, you know, hockey, soccer, these are very, very difficult uh, sports to analyze uh, because they're continuous with you know, soccer, especially with lots of players on the field. Uh, yeah, I'd say baseball's a 10. I'd say basketball's like a 7. I'd say most of the other major sports are still, you know, somewhere between 1 and 5. Why do you think football is so behind, seemingly, in more analytics-based decisions being made? Well, I, it's an extremely difficult sport to analyze. I, I would say um, maybe bordering on impossible. When you've got 22 players interacting uh, in a very limited set of games, um, the only thing that helps you in terms of analyzing football is the fact that it always resets to a set state. You know, it's always you always get to the line of scrimmage and hike a play. That helps to analyze the sport, but uh, versus like a soccer, which is always continuous motion movement, which is uh, even harder to look at. But when you've got 22 players interacting and you're only playing 16 games a year and only a limited set of downs per game, uh, it's an ex- extremely hard to potentially impossible sport to use data to be very confident and drawing a lot of conclusions. In terms of basketball-wise, do you think it is now a lot harder to find an edge in, let's say, the draft or in free agency? Or that when you talk about undervalued-type players, do you find it much harder than it used to be because everybody now, for the most part, employs people in their front office that have a background in this? Yeah, it's, it's you know just the same dynamic that happened in baseball, happened in basketball, and that you know each year the you know the low hanging fruit goes away, and developing an edge is harder, and uh, each of the you know the new findings has less and less of an impact on winning. So yeah, it, it does get harder, but you got to stay ahead of you got to stay ahead of the pack. So that's that's our challenge here. What happened to the Rockets last year? 
condition didn't really work out, and that hurt us in several ways. Uh, you know, one, uh, we gave up many things, you know, an important first-round pick um, that we could have used it another way. Um, Ty uh, didn't play very well, and when you make an acquisition that big, um, normally if someone's not playing well, you just don't play them. Uh, but when it's a bigger acquisition and they don't play well, then um, you know, then it's uh, you know, then it's difficult. <clears throat> you know, it's, you want to try and make it work, so you end up playing a little bit longer. Um, so I'd say that's that's one. Uh, obviously, you know, our defense uh, primarily, uh, you know, took a big step backwards. Um, so I, I would say, you know, just calling out those two things would be probably one of two of the bigger issues. Why, you know, you, you, over time there's been a Daryl Morey type plan. I think for for people that step back like me, basketball fans, you say, all right, once upon a time you got Tracy McGrady and you, and you got Yao Ming, and you caught bad breaks in terms of injuries on that, and then you redid it, you reloaded, and you got an amazing uh, offensive player on the perimeter in Harden, and, and an outstanding post player in uh, in Dwight Howard. And the Harden-Howard thing, I mean, you got you got to the West Finals with that, and then last year there was all of this, like, what is going on with them? What did what? Because it seemed like there were chemistry problems, right? So what what happened with that? And what yeah, is your take on? Yeah, I mean, we certainly I mentioned the two big things. We certainly didn't have great chemistry last year. Um, that's something that we, we obviously strive to improve uh, this year. Uh, there's sort of a top down you know, understanding of, of, of alignment. Um, so it, it it was definitely my worst year of my career. I've been in the, you know, I've been in the league for, uh, you know, 15 years now. Um, you know, over, over our last 10 years here, we have the third best record in the league. As you mentioned, we've gone deep in the playoffs multiple times, uh, made the Western Conference Finals. So last year was definitely a tough year. Um, you know, over a 10-year period, you're probably going to have one year that doesn't, doesn't go to plan. And, uh, you know, we've managed to generally avoid that, but you know, it's you know, if you have one year that doesn't go to plan and you win half your games and still make the playoffs, uh, some teams haven't made the playoffs for eight, nine, ten straight years. So, um, you know, we've basically retooled. We love the, you know, we love what we put together. Eric and Ryan and Nene are all acquisitions that are contributing at a very high level for us already, and uh, we're playing well and playing. We're executing well in the preseason, so we're. We're excited for uh, for next season. You know the criticisms, right? Last year that you t- how uh, did it drive you crazy to hear people saying, "Yeah, Daryl Morey just thinks these guys are names on a on a piece of paper." Like this proves this isn't just you can't just put it into your computer and spit it out. Chemistry matters. Um, I mean, I guess that's just something that uh, people have used, and also I think teams strategically try to you know use against us in the key areas like free agency. So we, you know, we battle that back. Uh, you know, for us, it's, you know, I'm not too worried about about what people say. Our track record sort of speaks for itself in terms of success. And, uh, you know, if we're sort of an example of how things uh, don't work, then I don't know, you know, the, I don't know what example people are drawing from the teams that, you know, aren't run maybe in traditional ways to they claim value higher, some of the things they criticize for, but haven't won for five to 15 years, haven't advanced in the playoffs, haven't haven't uh, had uh, the third most success in the league over the last 10 years. So, um, you know, I think everyone has critics. You just got to keep moving forward and focus on winning and focus on what's right for your franchise. Do you really not care? Because it seems you care. 
It seems like you were really mad when people were like when they were floating out the players nobody wants to play with Harden. Like that made you like because I mean well, you're quoted. Yeah, I care in terms of like how it affects our ability to, you know, the perception of the team, which really matters in free agency. So uh, part of my job is to care in a big way and to defend the team and to defend our players uh, because, you know, if you let the if you let the chatter go unanswered, people can develop a negative perception of the franchise, even with all the success we've had, which can affect material things like free agency. So. Um, you know, part of my job is to defend, you know, the team, defend, you know, what we're doing so that people understand that if you want to win, you're going to come here. And uh, if you look at our owner and his, you know, he's won 20 out of 23 years and has multiple titles, uh, you know, his track record speaks for itself. So we, when we're defending ourselves, we're just trying to get that story out there that people understand that Houston's a great city. Uh, and Houston's a winning franchise that consistently wins every year. And if you want to win, you should join us. Do you think that we could ever get Daryl Morey and Charles Barkley to bury the hatchet, or is this going to be an every year occurrence? I, I don't personally have a hatchet. I think uh, I think he might. I think since he went on a rant, uh, you know, yeah, and, uh, you know, that was sort of uh, anti rockets, anti me. Um, but I have no issue with him. I mean, he's accomplished more than I ever have, so I don't, I don't have an issue. I think he's an unbelievably great entertainer, which is his job. And um, you know, if he ever wanted to have a discussion on air or off air, I mean, I'm I'm game for it. I I, I respect what he did as a player. You've got a lot of new faces there at the Rockets, uh, not the least of which is your head coach, uh, Mike D'Antoni. Why Mike D'Antoni? Well, yeah. So again, we. As I mentioned, we've always had a very strong, you know, sort of uh, approach to how we want to play up-tempo, spread court. Obviously, Golden State has sort of taken that, uh, and uh, not not from us. I mean, many coaches have had this approach and style. Mike D'Antoni most famously with Phoenix. But Golden State has sort of perfected it with great players, you know, uh, and obviously won the title and won 72 games last year. So, um so we've we've developed our roster with a certain set of players, a certain philosophy, and um, Mike is someone who fits that and uh, and probably fits it the best. He's always been an innovator and a forward thinker. Um, we didn't want to make a change with our coach uh, that was, you know, a lot of teams make a mistake by going opposite. They go like hardcore defensive guy, grind it out once they, you know, after they've had. Uh, you know, a coach that, you know, had a different style, uh, they tend to, like, uh, react too hard, too hard, and that means your players don't fit what you're trying to do. We were basically trying to retool uh, with Mike, who's an innovative coach, and, uh, you know, add some pieces that uh, we needed to add, and um, away we go. I mean, that, that's pretty much the, uh, the, the why, why we ended up with Mike. One of the things I read that I thought was rather persuasive, it was all, it was a defense of Mike D'Antoni in some ways, saying, you know, because when you coach in the biggest markets like New York and L.A., and you don't have crazy success, even though he did have some level of success at those places. But the, the idea was he had superstars at those places and Kobe and Carmelo that are just ill-suited for what his brand of basketball is, and Harden is absolutely perfect for it. What say you? Is that is that fair in terms of when we're talking about D'Antoni and the stops since Phoenix that didn't end all so well for him? 
Well, again, I mean, so the narratives are tough. I mean, like, to say that it didn't end well for Mike and Phoenix is... No, 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 not Phoenix. Pretty, not Phoenix. It's a pretty tough history given he won 60 games multiple times in Phoenix, made the Western Conference Finals, <laughs> multiple, finals multiple times in Phoenix. So if Mike didn't end well in Phoenix, then literally 27 out of the 30 teams don't end well. No, 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 Daryl. I'm talking um, about New York and L.A. Come on. We know Phoenix. Oh, okay. I thought you were mentioning. You said Phoenix, unless I heard you. I might have. Been, I yeah, no, no, no. I was talking uh, about New York and L.A. So since Phoenix, New York and L.A. have not ended great. Ah, yes. Okay. I think Mike would even say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's probably better for question four for Mike, uh, why it didn't, uh, you know, why it didn't end in uh, those places well. I mean, I wasn't there, so it's it's hard for me to comment on that. Okay, so the idea that Harden is perfect for that style of play. Oh, yeah. James is, I mean, James is literally perfect for, you know, how he plays. His ability to attack the basket, his ability to pass at an elite level, he's definitely the best. Uh, passing two guard in the game right now, and maybe maybe the best uh, maybe the best passing one of the best passing guards in history. Um, his ability to shoot the basketball, his strength, his basketball IQ. Um, I mean, you, you could argue that in terms of overall fit, that James is actually a better fit than Steve Nash. Now, Steve Nash is a multi MVP player, and I'm not trying to compare him, but you could argue just from a basic skill set perspective that. James is more perfect for, you know, what we try to run and what Mike likes to run than the Nash. Do you also point to chemistry issues or whatever else with with last year with Harden? Because two years ago, I mean, many would argue, I know you did argue, that he was the best player in the NBA, and then last year is a step backwards. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the point. People always want to point to chemistry last year. I'm not saying it was perfect last year, but two years ago we had the exact same roster, and Everyone said our chemistry was great, and we made the Western Conference Finals. We brought literally the same team back, and all of a sudden now chemistry is the problem. So it didn't it didn't make really sense to me um, that you could point to chemistry. That's why I pointed to our defense, to uh, you know the Ty Lawson acquisition I made. It didn't work out. So um, people people want to make it like a chemistry issue, and, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to argue last year was perfect, but. You know, if if last year the chemistry was the problem, then why with the exact same set of players was it was it the positive the year before? So, um, you know, it, to me, like chemistry is very important, uh, but it's also you know it's more important that we have you know very good players who fit a system, and and that's what I always try to do, and that's what we feel like we have this year. Okay, well, if it wasn't chemistry, let's just take a step back. Why, why do you think there was a regression on Harden last year? Um, you know, again, I mentioned, I mean, uh, so if you add a very important player at a very important position of point guard in Ty Lawson and that doesn't work out, yeah. uh, I think that, that that really affects things. So uh, just just to mention one, yeah. um, you know, and that had, and then, you know, we, we played poor early. Um, we came out of camp poorly. We, we as I've mentioned before, we got... Uh, too caught up in what I call a relative success of making the Western Conference Finals, which is a failure, again, of myself, uh, maybe not keeping the team focused uh, going into the, the, the season following that. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, there were a lot of factors, you know, that went uh, that went into it. But, uh, you know, it definitely was, a, definitely was a down year, but we're focused on this year. 
Um, I think if people have watched us in the in the preseason, not that those games matter, but I think you do learn a lot in terms of how a team is playing in the early games. And, you know, we're outscoring teams more than anyone in the preseason. We're executing well on both sides of the ball. So, you know, we're pretty, uh, you know, we're pretty excited about what's coming up. All right, Daryl, we're going to get into free agency. But first, I want to tell everybody that, guys, you don't have to choose between price and quality to get an amazing and affordable shave. DollarShaveClub.com's the answer. To prove how amazing their shave really is, right now they're going to give you your first month free to join the club. DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to my door for a third of the price of what the greedy razor corporations charge. Just go to Dollar Shave Club and pick a razor and their lineup of amazing blades. I use the executive blade with their Dr. Carver Shave Butter. The blade just gently glides for the smoothest shave ever. See why over 3 million members like me love Dollar Shave Club. They're so confident in the quality of all their products, now you can get the first month of the club for free. Just pay shipping. After that, it's a few bucks a month. No long-term commitment, no hidden fees. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash NBA show. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash NBA show. You have been lighting it up in the preseason. I want to ask you about two of your free agent acquisitions um, and what you liked about them and why you thought they were good fits for what you've got going in Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. Well, yeah, I mentioned, you know, we, we've always been a heavy three-point team. Uh, you know, our shooting has, again, on me, our shooting hasn't quite been where I needed it to be uh, for the style of play. Both Eric and Ryan are elite three-point shooters. Uh, we also weren't able to play spread four as much as we wanted to last year or the past few years. Ryan, I think, is the best spread four in the league. Uh, Eric's another ball handler. Teams are loading up on James Harden, so Eric's a guy who can shoot it, uh, can attack off the bounce, can pass. So we're pretty excited about him as well. And then Nene, I would say, is just as important as those two guys. Uh, I know he came a little later in free agency, so you know, with maybe a little – less fanfare, but uh, Nene is someone who uh, really shores up that five spot. Uh, obviously, we lost, uh, you know, Dwight Howard chose to go to Atlanta, so getting Nene to pair with Clint Capella, we feel like uh, is a great tandem at that five spot. And Decker's been playing for you in the preseason. That's almost like an acquisition. Yeah, and he was hurt all last year. I mean, almost everything, you keep asking me, like, almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Decker, <laughs> I mean, like, he got hurt for the year. Almost every player on the team had a, a you know a, a year that was not anywhere near their you know best years of their career. Um, you know, you know, they're you know up and down. We just had uh, you know just you know a lot of things not go our way, which which happens sometimes when you go over a ten year period and you win the third most games in the league and. Uh, you're going to have one year in 10 where you only maybe win after games and don't don't execute as well as you want. And what you can do is learn from it, learn how we can improve. I feel like we did, and, and, and then retool and get back out there, and that's what we're doing. Do you think you'll look like those old Phoenix teams? Um, that's a better question for my – I mean, they were very, very talented teams, you know, some of the best players of all time you know, at their positions at their peak and Nash and, and Stoudemire. I mean, Sean Marion was a great piece. Roger, I mean, like they had, they had some great, great players, uh, slightly different than our, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like our ability to put points on the board, I think that's going to be similar. I think we're going to be a better defensive team than those Phoenix teams. 
Uh, we've been a top 10 defensive team in the preseason so far. I know it doesn't look like it because of the raw totals, but yeah, when you pace adjust it, we've, we've played very well on defense as well. Do you write down a win number at the beginning of the season? Uh, I don't really write it down, but I think it's important to have expectations. We're looking to get home court in the West. That generally takes, uh, you know, obviously 50-plus wins. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're, we're targeting 50-plus wins and then and get home court in the West, one of those top seeds. Your thoughts on why there is so much parity in the West? Obviously, there's an overwhelming favorite that everybody in the free world's going to pick. But then it seems like after them that everything's, you know, I mean, it's a crapshoot in terms of it's just your personal preference, and it seems like there are a bunch of teams all in a mix together. There's a lot more peers than there used to be, and there's some young up-and-coming teams. Uh, your thoughts on the parity, especially the Western Conference? I don't know if you can call parity when they're like one team wins 73 games. So I, would... <laughs> I meant after them. I think you mean like that there's a lot of strong teams, and, and, and yeah, I would say uh, that's been the tradition of the West, you know, since like the mid-90s. Uh, I, I sort of tie it to ownership. I think our owner's a great owner. I think the Spurs have great ownership. Dallas has great ownership. I mean, I think that the, if you want to know how teams are going to perform over the long haul, like like the Rockets, you know, who you know, who've won, you know, won 20 out of the 22 years our owner's on the team. If you want to, like, draw a line why those teams in the West are so strong, I look at the strong owners in the West. What rules would you change, basketball play-wise? Um, just off the top of my head, I would change uh, possession arrow. I would change FIBA basket interference rules. I would only allow you to call timeouts and dead balls. Um... You know, just off the top of my head, I mean, I just think there's a lot of real simple things we could do to, to make the game better. Advanced rules on timeout, which they're close to doing. Um, uh, yeah, I'd speed up replay way more. Um, yeah, there's there's just a bunch of, uh, I think, simple stuff. I'd reset the shot clock to 14 on offensive rebounds like, like international basketball. Um, yeah, off the top of my head. He is Daryl Morey. All right, Daryl, you travel all over. I want three restaurants that you, like, have to go to during the NBA season that are on the road. Um, not as much of a foodie, although to look at me, you might think that. Uh, I would say Gibson's in Chicago. These aren't going to be innovative. These are going to be, like, ones I think a lot of people know. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I'd say Gibson's off the top of my head is one I always try to go to. I don't know if I have three for you. Is there a favorite city that you travel to? Uh, opposing NBA city. Yeah, no shock. It's like LA, Miami. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm no, no different than everyone else there. Daryl Vorey, thanks for coming on the podcast today, man. Hey, good luck this season. I'm excited to watch uh, James Harden average like 37 points a game. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Congrats on the new gig and uh, the podcast, and uh, appreciate you uh, thinking of me to have to come on. My man, thank you, Daryl. Appreciate that. All right, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Daryl Morey, and thanks for listening to another edition of the NBA Show.